Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's Coriant.com. Hello and welcome to this edition of World Weekly. I'm Gideon Rachman. Today we're looking at the election in Japan. Prime Minister Shinzo Abe has called an early vote, but suddenly finds himself in a tougher fight than he'd bargained for. Joining me on the line from Tokyo is our bureau chief, Robin Harding, and here in the studio, Roger Blitz, who writes about the Japanese economy. Robin, why did Shinzo Abe call this election so early? And is it fair to say it hasn't gone entirely to plan? So an awful lot has happened in Japanese politics in the last week, which almost invalidates the assumptions that Shinzo Abe called this election based on, the most fundamental of which was that the opposition was in a complete mess And therefore, it was the perfect time to exploit that by calling an election against the backdrop of a crisis in North Korea that makes him look prime ministerial, that makes him be able to portray himself as a strong leader and use that to renew his mandate for another four years and ideally secure the opportunity, which he has long sought to change Japan's pacifist constitution. That's the situation a week ago. However, an awful lot has happened since then. And in particular, the opposition suddenly and rather dramatically got its act together and the formation of a whole new party and a charismatic leader has emerged. So what happened is the governor of Tokyo, who is a charismatic and popular woman called Yuriko Koike, unexpectedly declared three and a half hours before Mr Abe's press conference to call the election But she was going to become the leader of a new party, which is called the Party of Hope, which is either the best or worst party name ever. And she was going to lead this party into the election. So it's not quite the case the opposition got its act together. But Ms. Koike emerged as an opposition figure to run against Mr. Abe in the election. She didn't, and this will become crucial later, say that she herself is going to stand But she is nonetheless the figurehead of the party. And as far as I can understand it, the two parties are essentially, in ideological terms, not that different. It's more of a kind of personality clash. Yes, so Ms. Koike is a former member of Mr Abe's party who defected from it only a year ago to run for the governorship of Tokyo. So ideologically, they're almost identical. They have the same sort of conservative nationalist views that Mr Abe is very much associated with. And even on the economy, there's not a great deal of difference between the two of them. Ms. Koike set up this new party, which attracted a flood of defectors from mainly the principal opposition party, which was the Democratic Party. And then three days after she launched this party, the Democratic Party basically folded altogether and said that it would release all its candidates from their nomination. And they were free to seek nominations with Ms. Koike's new party. So the opposition has kind of realigned itself completely around her. But then the latest developments in this absolute string of fast-moving political events are that the Party of Hope is showing itself to be in some trouble because they're clearly struggling to scale up to the demands of being the main opposition. I think when Miss Koike launched this, which is only now a little more than a week ago, her goal was to be a sort of insurgent party 
taking on the two big forces in Japanese politics, and she looked poised to do very well doing that. Suddenly, she finds herself cast in the role of the main opposition, and she hasn't even said herself that she will run. And that's putting a lot of stress on this new party of hope, and the election is very much still in flux. So very dramatic developments on the political front, but Roger, do markets care? Are they taking it all in their stride? Have they even noticed this election? They've noticed it. They were worried when the LDP did badly in July, and that actually sent the yen higher. The yen tends to follow a lower trajectory with the continuation of Abe's three-pronged economic policy, Abenomics, and they tend to be more interested in whether that policy is going to carry on. So clearly an election is going to make the market at least consider change, not necessarily a dramatic change as in Abe losing the election, but the extent to which his policy may be refined. So markets have tended to just take a watching look at the impact of calling this election, and particularly in Abe's ratings. For some, the important thing is not whether he will win or not. That seems to be fairly given, but will he lose seats? And if he does lose seats, it may mean a rethink on the economic policy. And it's also happening at a time when Kuroda, the Bank of Japan governor, his term is being renewed, or whether he will actually decide to stand, whether there'll be a change at the top of the BOJ. So the markets are interested in two key aspects going on, the election and its outcome and what it says about Abe and whether the, the Japanese public back him and his economic program, and whether at the same time, the Bank of Japan may have new leadership. Generally, how do you think the world outside Japan, and particularly the financial world, sees Arbenomics? It was a very watched and rather controversial initiative. It's been going on for quite a while, and you hear mixed things about it. Some people say it's working, some people say it's not. Is Abe generally regarded as a relatively successful steward of the Japanese economy? The IMF thinks that the three-pronged approach, structure reform, fiscal spending and monetary easing, the IMF thinks it's okay. Others are not so sure, particularly because Japan is suffering from the inability to get inflation moving. That is not necessarily a problem solely for Japan. It's a problem for central banks all around the world. So the assumption is that if it's not a particularly Japanese problem, but a global issue, then there isn't really necessarily a way we can say that Abenomics simply has failed. It simply might have to carry on. And the working assumption is that Japan will carry on with its steady zero-bound monetary easing. Yields will stay at the zero range. That is the working assumption. And Unless inflation really moves decisively, there's no reason why I think that there's a need to shift. And a lot of the talk around the Bank of Japan governorship position is, well, we may see a change, but will we actually see a change in direction? And that actually the easing policy will probably be continued by a successor. And Robin, out there in the real economy, Japan's doing relatively well, isn't it? Yes, I think this is something you can really class as success of Abenomics. The labour market has got steadily better over the last five years. Unemployment's down to 2.8%. And basically everywhere you go in Tokyo now, restaurants, shops, there are help wanted signs because the economy is in the grip of quite severe labour shortages. So overall, the economy is doing pretty well. It still hasn't turned into price rises. That's the big missing element. But I think the backdrop of a strongly performing economy a stock market that's gone up steadily. That's all very positive for Mr. Abe as he heads into an election. And what about this North Korean fact? I mean, you mentioned it at the beginning as one of the motives for Abe calling the election. How much is it weighing on Japanese public opinion? It's interesting. People here don't really think about it very much. 
on a day-to-day basis, I don't think. They don't really feel under threat, despite the fact that you have these missile tests and a dictator next door testing nuclear weapons. It does play into a certain focus on foreign relations, which I think is also affected by Donald Trump being the US president. And certainly in polling, foreign relations ranks as a higher issue this time around than it has done in elections for several cycles now. I think Mr. Abe is probably correct in thinking it's a positive for him because he is generally seen as a strong leader. He has been very active in diplomacy. So I imagine he'll be hoping that Mr. Kim does lob a few more missiles over Japan during the election campaign. Rather cynical of you, Robert. But uh, (laughs) I mean, it's interesting, isn't it, that the two main candidates are both representatives of the more nationalist tradition in Japan. What's happened to the lefty pacifists who were always a very strong force? So this new party, Ms. Koike's new party, and the resulting split-stroke destruction of the existing Democratic Party has left them with almost nowhere to go because Ms. Koike is refusing to accept Democrats who are regarded as being of the left or liberal wing of the party into her new party of hope. So they are scattering to the winds, really. Some of them are running as independents. A group of them have got together and formed another new party, which is called the Constitutional Democratic Party of Japan. And they're hoping to provide a home for some of those liberal left-wing votes. Japan is also, it has a strong residual communist party, who are some of the strongest opponents of constitutional reform, some of the strongest pacifists. They're never able to actually win power or get close to it. They do a very good job of splitting left-wing votes or, or sort of peeling off a portion of the left-wing vote, which is part of the difficulty of opposition politics in Japan and why it's always been so fragmented. So, Roger, I mean, Japanese politics seems a bit like of a world unto itself and relatively, I say relatively, undramatic when you look at what's happening in Europe and with Donald Trump and the United States. But we, of course, have got to remember Japan's a systemically a, a really important economy. It's still the third largest economy in the world. So presumably what happens there will have a big bearing over the course of five, ten years on the fate of world markets, the world economy. Yes, I wouldn't overplay the centrality of the Japanese economy. It is a big economy. Trade links are very important. It's important in its own region. But I think in terms of the world stage, in terms of the kind of the world economy, it is one of a number of developed economies that is seeing this sustained global growth. And I suppose you could argue that were it to slow down, then people would be asking, well, might we be seeing similar effects elsewhere? Global trade, despite what has been said over the last 12 months, the the fears about protection has actually been very strong. And Japan plays its role in that. Japanese economy has been going through six successive growth quarters. So it's important as one of a number of developed economies who are showing broad growth. I think the world financial markets is now looking across the board and talking much more about global growth rather than individual countries' growth. And Robin, to conclude, I mean, it strikes me there's a bit of a paradox in that for many years, it was thought that Japan enjoyed a relatively stable international environment and its big problems were deflation, debt, economic, essentially. The economic side of things looks relatively positive at the moment, but it looks as if Japan's international environment is increasingly uncertain with this North Korean threat, with Donald Trump, a protectionist in the White House, and with the ever-looming fear of the growing power of China. 
Yeah, I think that's a fair way to put it. Of those things you list, by far the most important is China. North Korea comes and goes as a threat. And I think part of the reason North Korea is seen differently in Japan than elsewhere is Japan has been in the range of North Korea's missiles for years now. So it's not a new threat here as it is for the United States. And I think Japan has handled Donald Trump fairly well. But the, the growing power of China and the challenge it poses to Japan in the region, at the same time as Japan's population is shrinking, is just a very fundamental issue that Japan is going to be facing for decades to come. OK, and with that thought, we'll leave it there for now. Thank you very much indeed to Robin Harding in Tokyo and to Roger Blitz here in the studio in London. That's it for this week. Until Here at Bellingcat, we get to the bottom of things. From a global crisis to an underreported event, we find the facts using publicly available tools and resources, uncovering what is hidden on and below the surface. We connect the dots using social media posts, satellite images, and public records, and empower others to do the same by sharing how we do it. The ability to do so is only made possible by our readers, supporters, and community members. Care to join us? Learn how at bellincat.com. Next week, goodbye.